The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. It is 5.07 on the Central Coast. It happens to be Monday, February 13th, 2023. You're listening to the Dave Congleton Show. In about an hour, Garth from Atascadero is going to talk about capitalism. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Jim Barnett will salute the music of the late, great Burt Bacharach. And we have free tickets to give away to see Chicago at Vina Robles, Dr. Larry Martinez on Wednesday, Jack Keller on Friday. I know we're busy. It's a lot. This hour, always good to be in conversation with uh, Dr. James Armstead. That sentence makes a little bit of sense. What has been going on up in the skies? We had the big one, the Chinese weather balloon. And then we had another one on Friday. Then we had another one on Saturday and another one on uh, Sunday. Uh, So let's find out what's going on as Dr. Armstead joins us. Professor, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Dave. How are you? I'm all right, sir. How are you? I'm good, and I'm watching the skies like you are. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Something like this happens, and suddenly everyone is looking up at the sky and trying to figure out what's going on. Fortunately, we have you to explain. Well, I'm not sure sure I can explain all of it. I can certainly tell you that it's a lot busier than it has been. From 2004 until March of uh, 2021, 17 years, we had 144 uh, UFO incursions into our skies. Things that we could identify were physical, they were actually there, there was something, balloon, uh, drones, whatever, whatever. Uh, From March of 2021 until August of this year, this past year, we've had 247 incidents of unidentified flying objects incursions into our airspace. 26, by the way, of those, uh, that 247, 26 of those were possible drones Mm. that we've identified. Uh, There's a lot of activity going on, not just right now, but a lot in the last few months, the last year. But on the other hand, are we making too big a deal out of this? Well, yes and no. It's. I think we've got to look at the the Chinese balloon, and you know the Chinese came out uh, today with uh, over the weekend announced today that uh, that ten American balloons have uh, gone into their airspace in the last year. You know, I'm not so sure that's true. Do we launch balloons? Do we use them? Certainly, we do that. That's part of our uh, part of our weather program and civilian side of things, and it's part of our our intelligence uh, part of our intelligence operations. <coughs> We use balloons in various sorts of places, but uh, it's interesting here, the political message from the, and I'm only speaking of a Chinese balloon, we don't know about these other incidents. It's interesting that the Chinese balloon 
crosses into our airspace, goes over Montana the day before Blinken is on his way to talk to the Chinese about trying to put together one of the things we know on the agenda, trying to put together better communications. You know, one of the one of the great things about the Cold War, and you know, I, I was around. I'm old enough to remember the Cold War. I worked uh, I worked in the Pentagon uh, during the Cold War and uh, was on active duty with the military as well as at the War Colleges. The one of the great things about the Cold War that I taught was that the success that we had was that we kept talking. We didn't shoot. Hmm. That whatever happened, we talked about it. We set up a hotline so when something goes wrong and we're not sure, because we don't really trust each other, you could call up and say, look, are we going to war or is this some kind of accident? You know, we had a solar storm about 35 years ago where we lost radar contact uh, in the ionosphere, the upper portion of the ionosphere, where missiles would have gone through. We couldn't see anything for several hours. And the Russians mobilized. They thought this might, uh, there might be something coming from the U.S. They weren't able to see. And, of course, we weren't able to see. We had the red phones. We talked about it. And there was a great Soviet lieutenant colonel who was dismissed, who said, this is a, a, uh, an astrophysical anomaly. I don't think we should launch. And he hesitated. He, has, he had orders to, uh, to get the missiles ready to fire. He wouldn't do it. So we've been close a lot of times on things, so we shouldn't get overwrought uh, with this going on right now. Hmm. But there's also a chance that these balloons could just be copycat, not Chinese, something else altogether. Well, of course, the first balloon's Chinese. They admitted yeah, it. You know, yeah. we identified it. They admitted it. And yeah. we've got enough pieces of the uh, balloon material. I'm not sure about the package, but the balloon material that uh, we, we know what that was. Now, these others, you're absolutely right. Until we get from, uh, from Lake Huron, from uh, the Yukon, and from Alaska, until we get the actual packages that were up there and were able to go through one we don't know the origin we don't know where they came from two we don't know what they were sent here to do are these uh, is this observation is intelligence is there remote sensing of some other kind were these packages designed to drop in somewhere for continued spying you know what 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 was this all about uh, so making decisions uh, we we've got democrats uh, and and republicans accusing each other of not being concerned about national security and or bragging that we are more concerned than you are about national security that's not very useful as part of the public debate. It's whipping up people in a senseless response to something before we've got the details. Let's get those packages. Let's pick them up. The Royal Canadian Mounted Police, a fine organization, along with the FBI, is working in Canada. The Navy and the Coast Guard are, are working offshore of South Carolina and Lake uh, Huron and, and offshore of Alaska to pick these packages up so that they can be taken to the lab, examined. We can determine what was being watched, what these things were about, and, of course, where they came from. From, then let's talk about some sort of coordinated response and what needs to be done. Well, what happened here? The the big Chinese balloon, we waited until it crossed the country, and then we shot it down over water. With these other three, we shot them down right away. What changed? Well, in all cases, in all cases, 
we looked at each of these and made individual decisions. The and of course the 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 shoot down over Alaskan waters, you know, the last, you know, we've got a week of responses and we've got the history of what's going on. That was taken down before it actually came over land. So that was that was taken down uh, in in US waters and in international waters and and from our airspace. But that was taken down and put into the water. The uh, the, the in the Yukon uh, that uh, event took place over a very very sparsely populated area of Canada after the uh, consultation between Prime Minister Trudeau and President President Biden and of course the uh, the president in consultation with his defense officials uh, followed the um, the balloon the large balloon that came across country we knew where it was going we watched its trajectory and we took appropriate action to make sure it wasn't uh, traveling over sensitive areas where we had not made allowances for that to uh, to cover up those things that needed to be covered. One of the things worth remember, oh, go ahead. The, the the our our sensors our remote sensing from space is so good i have to be careful here i don't want to give up anything i shouldn't our sensors are so good they were so good 40 years ago that we could read the license plates on your zill mm-hmm. as you were driving from your daca to the kremlin for a meeting and listen to your phone call in the back of your car at the same time i was going so to point do you really need to spend time with balloons when you can do that from space right uh, one of the people quoted in the this article says that one of the reasons we think we're seeing more balloons is because we're actually looking for them. So we've been more aggressive in our detection efforts. Well, that's certainly true this week. Remember the uh, the North American Air Defense Command, which I should point out is a joint U.S.-Canadian Defense Command. That's North American Aerospace Defense Command. North American, it covers both countries, Canada and the United States. The commander, General Van Vick, is, uh, is an American uh, Air Force four-star, the commander-in-chief. The deputy commander is a Canadian general. So that has been in existence now for uh, for more than more than 50 years. It's a joint command. So we coordinate with our Canadian allies in the defense of Canadian and American airspace. And what we've been looking for for the last uh, 60 years or so are Russian bombers, uh, Soviet missiles and bombers coming over the North Pole, come flying in that direction to attack North America, to attack cities in North America. Now, that means we're aiming very high. We're looking at high angles of attack, uh, high, uh, high altitude and high angles of attack. And we're looking for a specific pattern where airplanes and missiles would be flying. We haven't been primarily focused on smaller, slow-moving aircraft, balloons, drones, or, uh, or other pieces of, uh, of equipment uh, that are invading the airspace. Because we've become sensitive, as I've mentioned, you know, 244 uh, since March of, uh, of 2021, uh, we are starting to refocus our imaging, our, our sensories toward 
these slower moving uh, vehicles. And uh, and of course, if you do that, you're going to pick up things you're looking for. All right. We're in conversation. Dr. James Armstead, nice enough to come back on this broadcast and explain to us what is happening in the skies with all the balloons. If time permits, we also want to get an update on the unfolding situation in Ukraine. That's a lot, but we'll get through it. I'm Dave Congleton on AM 920, FM 96.5 News Talk, KVEC. We are in conversation with uh, Professor James Armstead uh, talking about what has been happening uh, with these balloons. Uh, we're also going to get a little bit into Ukraine. We'll welcome your phone calls after news at the bottom of the hour. Professor, we come back to you with a quote from uh, Mitch McConnell. Uh, the public has seemingly heard about another new unidentified flying object seemingly on a daily basis. The administration has still not been able to divulge any meaningful information about what was shot down. What in the world is going on? Is the president under any obligation to give more details than he has? And do we even know anything more? Well, I'm not so sure the president is holding things back because of some political reason or security reason uh, that's caused worry here. We haven't received the full package of the balloons, and we're calling them all balloons. The last three objects are referred to by the Defense Department as one, two of them are cylindrical in shape. One is an octagon, either an octagon or an hexagon. And then, of course, there's the huge balloon that's more than 200 feet high with a package the size of two buses. So at this point, until you actually pick up the payload package, you don't know what was there. You don't know what they're looking for, how it's steered and controlled, uh, who sent it. So there's a lot that we don't know right now. So requiring the president to uh, to, to fess up and tell us uh, all the goodies may be a bit premature on the part of the uh, Senate Minority Leader mm. at this point. Mm. So why why use balloons? Could these other things have been weather balloons? I know the first one wasn't, but what about these more recent ones? Well, you know, there's a lot of things up there in the atmosphere. So there, there are uh, weather balloons that uh, are used by many countries. You know, we, we need uh, high altitude reconnaissance to, uh, to determine winds, to, uh, to, to check the atmosphere. What's, what's it composed of? That's how we, we know about, uh, pollution and its effect. A lot of that's, you know, we measure in the higher atmosphere. And then there's also research that's going on, public and private. So now, does every Everybody register what they do. Do balloons, which are, if they are balloons, they, of course, are subject to the winds. Uh, all of these factors are there when you find something on the radar, which is why we send up the Air Force to take a look. We don't shoot anything down before we, uh, before we take a look. We're very careful. And, of course, we try not to shoot anything down over a populated area for obvious reasons. If there's deleterious material, you don't want that coming uh, uh, down to the lower atmosphere and on the ground, striking people, causing an explosion and spreading things out that shouldn't be there, or just people being hit. The kinetic energy of something falling from high altitude. On the... I think the principal reason for the response we've seen is these things are between forty and 60,000 feet, and that's where airliners fly. And that's the danger that's created, the immediate danger. On the Stolberg-Tatum text line, the main reason... 
The Chinese are interested in mapping U.S. nuclear sites with balloons versus satellites is for enhanced targeting acquisition resolution for their cruise missiles. Professor. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with that. That certainly could be a logical intelligence reason for them gearing up and going to more more balloons. And as I said, you know, 247 since uh, uh, unidentified objects since uh, March of 2021. That's quite an increase. Second text on the Solberg-Tatum line you've somewhat addressed. Why is the U.S. so concerned when Chinese have complained that we had a bunch of balloons over their country and have never shot them down? Uh, the U.S., our texture is complaining, is being more aggressive than China. Well, I think we have to look at the political environment, at home, the political environment, and why we're getting more argument and things that are going on. But the international political environment is pretty tense right now. You know, we have a uh, Secretary of State who uh, canceled the trip uh, because of the uh, the incursion of our airspace the day before he was supposed to go. The rhetoric back and forth between uh, the United States and Canada and other nations as well uh, has been very high. Incursions over Taiwan, over India uh, increased uh, a, year, a, year, a year ago, September a year ago. We had over 70 incursions over Indian airspace. We had uh, a 300% increase in the last year of incursions over the exclusive economic zone and the airspace over Taiwan by uh, by Chinese uh, Air Force. So we've seen a lot going on in uh, in, in Southwest Asia and Southeast Asia, uh, and of course uh, in and and uh, over India and uh, and and in our direction, uh, and with all these tensions, you can expect their intelligence assets to, uh, to one, to be increased. This is the largest military in the world the Chinese have, and they're looking. They're looking. Hmm. They're worried, so, as are we. Again, in 75 seconds, how do we reduce the tension? Well, I think the first thing we have to do is increase communications. We are talking past each other. Uh, the uh, the Quad nations, uh, Australia, Japan, the United States, and India, uh, have come together and coordinated their activities. So we are doing that and working together. That's good in that it ties us together in terms of making policy. It also is something that makes the Chinese a lot more nervous. The current situation in the Ukraine is, of course, related to this. The Chinese are uh, the Chinese are going to come out of the Ukrainian war stronger. They know that. So their relationship with the Russians is changing. The Russians supported them in the past and what they were doing as the senior partner in the communist world in Asia. Well, now that's reversing. Now China, the number two economic power on the planet, is saying to the Russians, there's certain things we'd like to see your policy do. You know, we don't want you using nuclear weapons, for example, in Ukraine on the battlefield. We would like to see you work out some sort of peace plan. They're saying these things publicly. But they're also saying you shouldn't cow die uh, to the United States. So their relationship is undergoing, uh, internally in, in, in that world, is undergoing a change and their position in the rest of the world with the uh, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. So we're seeing uh, hold the that economic thought. expansion. Hold that thought, Professor. I promise we'll come back.
Professor Armstead is back with us talking about balloons in the sky. We'll talk a little bit about Ukraine as well. Your phone call still to come. This is Hometown Radio. This is the Dave Congleton Show, always your hometown radio talk show. We are in conversation with Professor James Armstead. We're talking about balloons in the sky. We're talking about China. We're talking about China-U.S. relations and to what extent we should be concerned. If you want to join us, please do 805-543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Call in, text in, chime in. We want to hear from you. Professor, we come back to the Stolberg-Tatum text line. Listener asks, how about an EMT strike vehicle? What size of apparatus would it take to cripple us? Well, a 10 to 20 megaton device in the upper atmosphere uh, somewhere over Kansas City would pretty much quiet the United States. Your transistorized ignition in your Chevy won't work. Your television and computers won't work. And, of course, a lot of other things would be out, including the electrical grid. And that's not a very big device. Uh, Also on the Stolberg-Tatum line, uh, you can't have it both ways, Professor. We have instruments to read a license plate, but we're shooting down something because we don't know what it is. Calling it a UFO? I thought the latest classification was UAP. What's going on with our briefings? Well, I think there's uh, there's something to what the uh, the caller says, but here's what you have to recognize: if you have an immediate threat, that is an unlawful device, balloon, uh, airplane, a drone, whatever it happens to be in your airspace, it's there unlawfully unregistered. It doesn't acknowledge uh, it's where it came from, who it is, or ask for permission to fly. And it's in the zone between 20,000 and 60,000 feet. That is a hazard to aviation. If it's a balloon and not directed, at least if it's an airplane, you fly up, it tries to identify itself. The pilot waves at you, you know, indicates he doesn't have any radio or so. You escort it to the nearest airport. I mean, there are ways in which you deal with these things. And I would point out to the caller, in all four cases, we sent up F-22s, a section, to go up and take an actual physical observation before we fired. And it was determined that these were unmanned vehicles. Uh, they were unmanned. No people were aboard. And that uh, they, they, they didn't have any indications of numbers that we could identify showing that they were lawfully in the airspace. All right. Let's take a call. We've got George in Santa Margarita. Hey, George. Hello, Dave. Hey, George. You know, you know wars uh, seem to be an economical thing. Uh, and, I mean, it's not just the fact that we're sort of in a, an economic uh, downturn right now. But I'm wondering what it costs to uh, launch an F-22, uh, uh, shoot a missile, and come back versus the cost of sending a balloon over here. I mean, it just doesn't seem economically viable for us to deal with that. Professor. F-22s are $28,000 an hour to fly. Balloons are a lot less. I can't tell you what they are. I don't know that technology. But they're a hell of a lot less, of course. So is it? cheap to uh, shoot down one of these balloons? No. 
That's exp- and the AIM nine missile. You know, so we're talking, you know, seventy five, eighty thousand. That's old technology. You know, seventy five, eighty thousand uh, dollars for fire one missile. We bring them down. So it's efficient. It's effective. Uh, we look at it first. But yes, it's expensive. And wars are economical. Uh, he's absolutely right, George. I'm just wondering when we're sort of outnumbered in an army, and if they're just you know sending balloons over to uh, intimidate us, whether or not. <clears throat> Um, we need to be aggressive from the get-go rather than uh, continue to dissolve our resources. Hmm. Professor? Well, there, there's a lot going on here. That, that's, a, that's a very complex question. First of all, it goes to why are they sending balloons over, at least the balloon, because we only have identified the first, uh, the first vehicle is theirs, and that the large observation balloon is a, uh, a surveillance balloon. Now, when you do this, you do this, you know, in the clear, obviously we're going to find this if it's, uh, you know, 200 uh, feet from the, um, from the payload package, the size of two buses, up to the balloon body itself, they know we're going to see that. The political message is this, but forget about the intelligence asset, the value of it. The political message is, I can invade your airspace. I am a world power like you are. I can do what I want it, and you can't do anything about it. That's a political message. Now, this is normative relations and international relationship and game theory. This is what we call the rational actor exerting itself. This is the rational actor. So China is the number two economic power on the planet, the number two economy. They see themselves rising, becoming richer, stronger. They have the largest military. They are building islands out in the South China Sea. They are acting threateningly towards uh, their neighbors who are close to us. They are, are creating economic relationships with their neighbors that are not close to us and trying to expand their political influence. All right. This is another way of demonstrating that they are a world power, that they should be considered a superpower. We should uh, treat them with more respect. All right, uh, uh, George, thank you very much for calling in. 805-543-8830 for Professor Armstead as we talk about the balloons. Paul is in San Luis on KVEC. Hi, Paul. Hello, Dave. Hello, Professor Armstead. Hi, I really Hi, enjoy Paul. when you're on Dave's show. I always feel like I come a couple ways smarter after listening. Uh, if you but, say, if you well, say too you. much, I have to pay him. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I, this is a rather trivial question, but I'm sure that you could answer it rather easily. Why do they, why do they send up the F-22 and not the F-35 to shoot these things down? Great question. Great question. The cost of the, the F-22 is our best fighter, you know, the stealth fighter, that we spent a lot of money developing this. It is a demonstration of our technology. Uh, I think we are using the F-22 to give it, one, to give it some exercise. You know, we've got this wonderful asset. Let's use it to see, you know, what it is we can do with it and to give those pilots uh, something to do. To give them something to do. The other airplanes of lesser capability, if you don't know what you're dealing with, when you send something out on the mission, you want to send out the best technology you've got. Paul? But it, now, the F 35, isn't that 
now they're going to try and use that across all three branch, all the branches, except for the army. Of yes, course. that's the Joint Strike Fighter. That's the Joint Strike Fighter, or it came okay. out of that original program. All right, so it's it's kind of a, a Swiss Army knife. It does a little bit of everything, but the F twenty two is a better fighter. Well, the F-22 is designed to do things the F-35 wasn't. Now, the F-35 is, yeah, I think that's good. The Swiss Army Knight, that's a, 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 an excellent observation, that this is an airplane, Army, I'm sorry, Air Force, Navy, and Marine Corps all have their own versions. And we also are exporting the F-35. That, that hopefully is going to be the, the standard fighter uh, with our allies where we can sell them. Of course, a number of our allies are building their own uh, their own aircraft but that's the standard the f-22 is a technology demonstrator it took our technology when it was introduced to the very edge and we don't sell that to anyone else all right no enough. one else has the f-22 paul thank you very much 805-543-8830 800-549-5832 for dr armstead tony's in a tascadero hi tony Hello, uh, just a quick observation. Uh, my wife and I went to uh, Croatia and some other places uh, a couple of years back, and one of the uh, uh, people on this ship said that, you see that ship out there? It's in international waters. It's a Chinese ship, and it basically sits out there for quite a while, and it gathers intelligence. It gathers information, and they didn't say what specific information. And then I thought to myself, you know, and I just brought this up just recently, that the... Uh, uh, with the hick vision from China, that they're not using those uh, uh, surveillance cameras and those systems anymore because they're afraid that the Chinese might have a uh, backdoor into uh, their security systems at different places. And I thought, is that why they're blowing these uh, balloons out there to gather intelligence from the instruments that we're using in our own homes and so forth? Let's talk about that, Tony. Interesting question. Thanks for calling in. Any possibility of that, Professor? There is cert there's a certainly a possibility. I think it's more than likely the increase in the number, which is what we should be concerned about, not that the balloons exist or what they do. The increase in the number <clears throat> is they're testing our defenses. How quickly do we recognize the balloons are there? What do we do about them? And remember, it is a Chinese you know, a, a tactic spread wide enough becomes a strategy. That is, you do a certain thing very well, you do it often enough, that becomes your strategic outlook, that how you respond and how you think. The Chinese, given their numbers, the size of their military, the size of the, uh, the Navy, the size of their new Air Force, given all of that, they are using numbers. That is, quantity has a quality all of its own. We call this use of a large number of devices or people, uh, instrumentality, weapons, a large number in a particular area. We call it swarming. That is, I can send out so many airplanes, no matter how good your radar is, I can overwhelm it. Right. You've got blips everywhere. You don't know where to prioritize. Right. I can attack you with a wave attack with numbers so large, you can't stop them no matter how good your weapons are because you don't have enough to respond. Right. That is a method of operating. And I think we're seeing some of that, that thinking. We have uh, Suzanne on KVEC. Hi, Suzanne. Well, wonderful topic. Great guest as always, and thank you for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I have... 
I I have just a bit of an assignment um, for the wonderful guest you have. I was informed that China purchased a very large island in the Philippines. Um, and the information was uh, passed on to me this morning, early, early this morning. I don't want to... Um, I don't want to buy into it, and I don't have the resources to uh, support it. So let's ask the professor. Professor, do you know anything about China buying an island in the Pacific? I know they're negotiating for a number of things. I'm not aware of a specific sale recently. But if the guest would send you a uh, message on the Stalbert line laying out what she wants, I'll try to uh, look this up and find out for her. Or Suzanne can send me an email or whatever, and we'd be glad to connect you with Dr. Armstead and get you an answer, Suzanne. You've always got my back in the country. Thank you. All right, Suzanne, thank you. You can always email me directly anytime at Dave at 920kvec.com. We go to Creston for Linda. Hi, Linda. Hi, Dave. Hi, Hi. Professor Armstead. Hi. Um, Hi, Linda. I think, think it was high. I think it was back in November of 2020. I was visiting a friend's place, and as I was leaving, and I was, I was out of my car opening the gate, um, this was at the near the corner of Werewara Road and Park Hill in Santa Margarita. Yes. Um, there was a white object in the sky, and it was obscured by the trees, um, so I couldn't tell if it was round or if it was uh, more blimp-shaped, but it was, um, I don't know how, it, it was, it wasn't really large, but it was, it was, you know, large enough, um, and it was silent, and it seemed to be propelled, it wasn't floating. Um, anyway, and I asked the people that live there if they'd ever seen this thing before, and you know, nobody seemed to have seen it. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's pretty close or probably within maybe 10 miles of Black Mountain radar station. So I don't know if it was something, some kind of equipment that they had to test the radar um, or I don't know if it was some kind of Google Earth drone or, or what it was. But, and I didn't know who to report it to. Yeah. But it was, it was really bizarre. Professor, really bizarre. as you answer this, in situations like this, who should Linda report that to? The FAA is where you go with a report. But if you don't, can't get a hold of them, you don't have the com- your computer handy, you can always call the local police department. They can pass it on to the FAA. Okay, okay, okay. What do you think about what she saw? Well, it's, you're, you're certainly in an area where there's a lot of testing going on. You know, we have space flights that go up locally uh, in your area. Uh, we have from Vandenberg Air Force Base. The worldwide range covers the entire West Coast, goes across the Pacific, and we test missiles and we test new airplanes in this. And, of course, we need lots of information on the weather conditions. So it could very well have been our own uh, equipment, uh, uh, checking the winds, testing the weather, uh, doing high-altitude research uh, and, and reconnaissance. So that's certainly possible. That's certainly possible, given where you were. Now, I would also point out to Linda that she's not a real cowboy. The real cowboy sits in the <laughs> middle of a pickup truck, so you don't have to drive and you don't have to open the gates. <laughs> wow. Linda, anything else you want to say? Uh, no, that's, that's basically it. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much for calling in. By the way, on the Stolberg-Tatum line, a listener points out the Chinese are building an island in the China Sea 
That is to act like an aircraft carrier that can't be sunk. Hmm. All right. Uh, we've They're got, building several. They're building several. We've got Don and Arroyo Grande. Hi, Don. Hi, Dave. Hi, Hi Don. Professor. Hi. Uh, professor, on a previous occasion, you had stated that you were adamant that the Russians had bombed the North, Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And just um, a week ago, um, uh, Seymour Hirsch published two papers, and he's a Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter who sure. reported on the Milai massacre and Abu Ghraib. And his report that came out shows that the U.S. was directly involved with the bombing of the pipeline. Do you want to change your statement? No, that isn't the first time I've disagreed with Seymour Hirsch. You know, Churchill once said that uh, he'd been forced to eat his words from time to time, but uh, on the on the whole, it had been rather a wholesome diet. I will stick by my my analysis at the time. You, you still think Russia did it? You you, you wouldn't even back off? Of yeah, Russia I still think Russia it. did it. Yes, I, I haven't seen any clear evidence that the Russians didn't do it. They were the people who were the most likely to benefit from what happened and who had the capability to do it from inside the pipeline using the pig. They could put a bomb inside the, uh, okay, the pig. I, I don't know how blowing up your own pipeline makes any sense when all you have to do is shut it off. But anyhow, okay. Because... Go ahead, go ahead Professor. Well, it's because you, when you stop the flow of oil, you increase the price per unit. That's All you have to do benefit. is shut the valve off. If you, just, if you just shut it off, you can put it back on. The others, the politically, the other side you're dealing with knows that. They're in the middle of a war. If you can make it unclear, you can tell your own people inside of the country, see what the enemy is doing to us. You can tell your potential clients that it's your fault this wasn't protected. Some of your guys or somebody in the middle has done it, and you're able to cover your tracks to do what you want to do and not claim any credit. Don, where's the Seymour Hersh article? I'd like to see that. Um, so it's out there in a couple places. I'm okay. just going to see if I can find where well, I no, found it. I'll just, um, I'll just Google it. Zero Hedge is where I found it. All right, I'll Google it. Uh, Don, thank you. A last call goes to Scott in San Luis. Hey, Scott. Hello, Dave. Hello, Dr. Armstead. Hey, uh, Scott. You know, that's- Hi, Scott. I've been uh, wondering where you were. <laughs> yeah, um, good discussion. Um, you know what? I, I agree with Don because I was just going to call about that. And the funny thing is, is that um, over the weekend, Sergey Lavrov has just had um, conversation with U.S. officials, and they have admitted that they did blow up the pipeline. And the other, and the interesting thing about this Seymour Hearst article, when I tried to Google it, I noticed that USA Today, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, NBC News, none of them reported it. See, this this reporter is is a well known. Um, uh, reporter, and his report should be taken seriously. But to me, if, if, let's just say that the U.S. did it, okay? If the U.S. did it, um, that's a declaration uh, of on war on Germany, because that's one NATO attacking another NATO country, right. and include Norway with it, too, because they were part of it. I'm at the t- I've got two minutes for a response, Professor. Well, I'm 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 glad that uh, that that, he, that that the caller agrees with me in terms of uh, where the uh, where the explosion came from that it was the Russians. His analysis of 
the NATO partners and the disagreement between them, I don't know if I've heard enough of that to uh, to give a full and adequate re- response, but I appreciate him supporting me. That's uh, I know I must be right when I finally get him to, to be on my side. Short follow-up, Scott. Well, I, you know, I just, the fact is that this report is so inclusive in the details, how it happened. I mean, it, somebody else could have wrote it, but the fact is, I, Dave, you should read it. It's very thorough, and it explains exactly what happened. But you know what? The, the United States has fiber optic internet lines on, in the Atlantic Ocean. If somebody attacked those lines, that would be war on the U.S. Uh, Germany needs to speak up. That's just my personal opinion, because I don't know what Germany is going to do. I have a feeling they're just going to forgive the U.S., and, and so be it. But really, it's, it's a declaration of war. Well, but fair enough. But uh, Seymour Hirsch, and I respect Hirsch, just because he claims it does not necessarily mean it's true. I want to see more evidence, Professor. Yeah, no, no reporter, including myself, is any better than the sources we use. Now, I try to be very careful what sources I use. Uh, mostly when I give you numbers, those are official. All right. you know, I use numbers that come Thank out you. of the U.S. government or out of uh, uh, certainly sources you, that we can rely on. I, I got to leave it at that. Scott, thank you. We'll come back and get a final thought from Professor Armstead and get you ready for Garth. I'm Dave Congleton. This is Hometown Radio, where Professor Armstead gets exactly 60 seconds, one minute for a final thought, sir. Well, I think we've had a busy week. It's We've been looking up at the skies, and we've seen great power politics playing out in real time, in real life, and in real view. People can see it. Television, uh, you've seen the, uh, the fighter planes shooting down these, uh, these balloons and the other, uh, the other uh, vehicles that are up there. We've got to demonstrate right now our domain awareness that we can control our skies. We've got to demonstrate our resolve to defend the NORAD territory, the the North American Air Defense Command area, and that we've got the competence and the capability to defend with our aerospace assets so that people know that America and North America is safe. All right, Professor, always appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much. I know Jim's going to be listening because Garth from Atascadero is up next talking about capitalism. You're listening to The Dave Congleton Show. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.